0: So when will we see a Mickey Mouse spirit? <laughs> oh, that's yeah. Dark. TTB's gonna let that one go <laughs> yeah. right through. Man, yeah. that got real dark. Yeah.
1: yeah, you can only you you can only buy it before you get on Space Mountain. You got to take a Mickey Mouse yeah. shot. <laughs>
2: like,
0: hiya, kids! Let's get hammered.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's low calorie, kiddos. It's <laughs> <laughs> low calorie fun times. Oh
1: God, I just threw up in the suit again. This is the Still Talking Podcast, our reverent distilling podcast with Zeno, Colton, and, my, and myself, Brian. Uh, let's jump into the news. We've got news, guys. Exciting. We already alluded to a little bit of it. Seltzer drinks, which everyone is talking about, and I'm already ready for it to be over. I think it'll it probably be over by the time this podcast comes out. Um but uh, yeah, apparently people seem to think that millennials are killing everything except seltzer, alcoholic seltzer, which is uh, the new hot topic, which did we talk about this last week? I don't even fucking remember. I don't listen. To our- we
2: talked about White Claw because I hate it. Yeah. And <laughs> right. I found out White Claw is the one that uses like they use like a cane
0: based neutral spirit. Oh, yeah. It tastes like it tastes like cough syrup. I don't know about their cane base. I don't don't want to say that whoever's distilling their cane base spirit tastes like cough syrup. It's probably (laughs) their flavorings. (laughs) No, the other one I was
2: talking about was Truly. Truly. It just, it has like some generic, I don't even know what it says.
1: Uh, I just want cough syrup laced with codeine. I want to make
0: that into a new product. Well, I'll have you guys both know. I don't know that, I don't know, this may be on the news docket already, but. I believe both Truly and White Claw are now uh, can now be served on tap. (laughs) (laughs) I also saw I also saw a video today, totally off topic, but of Corona just came out with a, a. A tap that fills Corona bottles. Okay, so like you can buy instead of buying a pint of Corona. Because they really want you to have that bottle to put the lime in. Because it's great marketing. They just just pour it directly into the bottle. Okay. Which I thought was ridiculous. Hey, it's sustainable, reusable, right? Why not? I bet they do not reuse them. Where are you going
2: tomorrow?
0: I say right into the heart of the hurricane.
1: Oh, outstanding. I hear they're going to nuke the the, the hurricane, so you should be
0: fine. Yeah, I'll be great. That's the way it works. (laughs) i've saying, got my
1: cockroach i've got my cockroach underwear on I'll you're going to be great that you wow i didn't think you could make that any
2: weirder
0: but you did i'm good with that
2: yeah i don't understand is it underwear made from cockroaches i don't know they or?
0: survive hurricanes so or not hurricanes probably hurricanes too but but yeah. they survive nukes i assume By putting them on my junk, my junk will survive nukes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Just your junk. So now The rest of your body is destroyed. (laughs) Now we all know that that Colton's junk is covered in cockroaches. All right. (laughs) I love that the listener gets to learn a little bit more about us every time.
2: This has nothing to do with protecting him from a hurricane or a nuke. (laughs) Uh. So White Claw, the news is that White Claw is popular with millennials. Is that what this news bit? Is so about? this
1: news bit basically talks about how millennials are interested in consider low calorie, low sugar options. Apparently up to 66% of millennials state that they often are always influenced by how a product impacts their health and well being when choosing alcoholic beverages.
2: Well, that actually the low cal thing, there is some value to that and everything's cyclical. I mean, yeah. this like fat free was a thing, right? And then it was just a bunch of sugar. They're like, well, that's bad too because it's calories. Right. Um, but there is there is a cycle. There is truth to that because look at it like uh, Mick Ultra, how popular that has gotten, in MGD sixty four, or whatever it is, and right. and now they and they have like even in it's in the distillation world too, like Kettle One botanicals, which I find are kind of silly. They have like a grapefruit one, and uh, I, I don't know, they, they're flavors, and they're like, oh, it's low calorie. It's almost like a pseudo gin. Well, yeah, it's, it's
0: just it's just without the juniper, right? It's I kinda like I kinda like the category. I like the category though, as you know, it's been if you want to make this botanical heavy spirit, it always has to have juniper in it, and this is an easy way to branch.
2: That's up. not what I'm that's not where I was going with that though. That isn't that's neither here nor there. What it is is it's a flavorful spirit, but they drop the alcohol, they bottle it at like, I don't know, thirty-five percent or something like that so they're like oh it's low calorie well like and i have to explain to people like well it's low calorie it's less alcohol right that's is what making it that's what's making it low calorie yeah so there is a trend in there that's even transcending into our industry too so i i can't argue with that is it going to last i don't know
1: I don't know either. I mean, so just as a, a final point of comparison here, and this is from the uh, global, global data provided this information, but it, in the survey said 66% of millennials note that as part of their alcoholic beverage choice compared to forty 47% of the national average. So on the national average, less than half consider the health ramifications apparently um but it's higher with millennials so as an age
2: you're drinking fucking alcohol of course you're like oh i want
1: my i want my alcohol to
0: be healthy
2: fuck you
0: i can have All six right? healthy alcohol drinks versus yeah five right five un- mean, unhealthy
2: ones right <laughs> you know what you're doing if it's just because like oh i want i want my instagram bod
1: <laughs> instagram bod oh my god that is in counterpoint to uh, your polish immigrant body that is beautiful <laughs>
2: No, I'm not saying me personally. Those are one or the same. I clearly don't go after low calorie. No, no. Beverages.
1: I want to change the culture so that Polish immigrant bodies are the new Instagram bodies. That's what I want is the new influencers of our America. That's beautiful
0: start that hashtag.
1: Yeah, baby. That'll go over
2: well. It's not far from a dad bod. Like, you know,
1: okay. So as a side note to this too, there was one interesting thing. Uh, Coca-Cola apparently too has entered the market uh, in Japan with lemon dew brand. Um, It's essentially, it's made with white liqueur and carbonated water. So that's interesting to see non-alcoholic companies entering
0: the space as well. Is that their first? They must have have some other entry into the alcohol.
1: I would imagine they probably toyed with alcoholic drinks before, but I believe this is their first entry into the, you know, the seltzer, the alcoholic seltzer side. But I could be wrong on that too.
2: Isn't Coca-Cola like ABC and... ESPN and Disney isn't it all like one company? That's probably not true, but I feel like Disney owns everything. I feel
1: like you just came up with a new conspiracy, people, like or a conspiracy theory about lizard <laughs> people and Coca-Cola and how they own everything. But I'm good with that.
2: Hey, the fact that ESPN and ABC and Disney were the same thing—I was—I was, I didn't know that for a long time. I'm also an idiot, so. <laughs>
1: right right i think that's in our bios for the podcast so that shouldn't be a surprise to anyone but uh
0: thank you
2: my point is my point is is disney owns a lot of things and maybe coca-cola probably also owns a lot of things
0: so when will we see a mickey mouse spirit (laughs) oh that's yeah ttb's gonna let that one go (laughs) right through man (laughs) that got real dark
1: Yeah, you can, only, you, you can only buy it before you get on Space Mountain. You got to take a Mickey Mouse yeah. shot.
2: <laughs> like, hiya, kids. Let's get hammered. <laughs> it's low
1: calorie, kiddos. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's low calorie fun times. Oh, God.
1: I just threw up in the suit again. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is bad. All right. We're off the rails. We're going back to new products. Uh, Zeno, this one's especially for you and I. Pumpkin Spice Latte Appalachian Sip and Cream from Sugarland Distilling Company. So oh
2: my God. it's there.
1: Uh, it comes out late August and will be available for a limited time. I'm not going to lie. My basic bitch ass would absolutely try that. So yeah, Sugarlands, feel free to send it to us. And Zeno will mock you until <laughs> he falls in love with it. And then a year from now, he'll finally admit, I only drink that now exclusively. I don't know why that was your sultry <laughs> voice, but that's that's
2: Zeno's new voice. It sounds exactly like my voice. Um, I, I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, I'll try anything once. So I'll, I'll try it. But the pumpkin spice thing and the fact that they're coming right now, they're like pumpkin spice. End of August no come on That's man it comes out. they're
1: they're maximizing their profit for that time period i think it's genius i you know whether you think it's a terrible product I, again i can't speak to it, i haven't tried it it's genius marketing it's probably delicious as it is you know exactly what it is is what it is so and come out now get it on the shelf i think it's smart i mean and then you can have people coming back every year because it's you know they can get it there's that um you know that uh uh sense of Oh, fuck. I can't think of the marketing terms for it now, but there's only a certain amount of time you can get it. So go pick it up. You know, people don't want to miss out.
2: Yeah. yeah it was very profound, Brian.
0: You're yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I've i read
1: and edited and proofread things. I'm done with words. I'm any eloquence I oh, ever had is. Oh, out good. The let's, window.
0: let's record the rest of our, you know, media podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
2: You're like a regular Confucius. Um, did, my problem with it wasn't so much the product itself; it's the seasonal creep. Ah,
1: uh, like, yeah, seasonal
2: creep—it drives me crazy. Even Oktoberfest beers.
1: What, are you no. saying that your Christmas tree is not up already?
2: Yeah, like I saw, I saw Oktoberfest beers in July. I think.
1: Yeah, yeah that's too much. It does it, it does, like it does <laughs> feel like if you're going to start hitting the fall stuff, you got to <laughs> wait till September first. You you got, or at least you, you got to wait a little bit.
2: Yep. See you in September. Yep. I'm with you on that.
1: Okay. Uh, last bit of new, Well, uh, a couple more pieces of news, but the last one I'll do before I hand it over to Colton because he has a few. Uh, the USA, to, uh, USA Today Top 10 lists for Craft Spirits producers is out. Uh, I bring that up because I am apparently one of the experts on their panel and have been for the last like three or four years. I have no idea why the fuck they keep asking me. Uh, I give them no credit for reaching out to me as an expert on their panel, but I've done it. I enjoy it. And yeah, I get to basically put out names for them to uh, basically put on their list for craft producers that get votes. So yeah, it's cool. If you get a chance, I think the voting started on Monday, the 26th, and I believe it runs till September 23rd. That's when voting ends and winners will be announced on the 10 best on Friday, October 4th. And it's just a marketing thing. People can vote. I think what once a day,
0: uh, yeah, you have to vote once a day. Well, I mean, you don't have you to. You don't
1: vote. have to, but you can. Yeah, you only get one vote a day, but you... it's the only way
0: it's the only way a distillery wins.
1: Right. So if you have yeah, I mean, Colton, you you guys have been nominated before. I don't know who would put your name in the hat, but <laughs>
0: some sort of idiot.
1: <laughs> some sort of idiots on their expert panel. <laughs> uh so yeah, Corsair's got it before, but so it's interesting because the, after the first year I did it, I reached out to a bunch of people that got nominated and went through the process because I was curious how it turned out for them. And we did a story on it too. But essentially, it is decent marketing. People get a lot of, like, they get a ton of traffic from it online, even when they're just nominated. And then if they actually win, the traffic continues to keep coming and it's good for marketing. People will do little write ups on it. You know It's a popular culture thing, but the thing I found really interesting, and I'll let you talk more to this too, Colton, if you have any more anecdotes about it, but I've heard from people who get nominated, they will start getting contacted by companies that will basically vote for you. You have to pay for it. So essentially you buy votes and they have voting farms that will go on there and just try and load it up so you can win. However, USA Today, I've talked to them about this too, and they have basically... They have things in place that void those votes. So my advice to anyone who gets hit up to buy votes or any of these kind of contests that are online, don't waste your money. You know, get get your social media out there, use it as a social media win, but don't pay for votes or anything like that. It's just it's not going to work out.
2: I'm going to give the other advice: <laughs> pay for votes. Um, <laughs> you want.
0: We want to make sure the best. Uh,
1: reach wins. out to Still Talking Podcast and you can buy three votes a day every day for your product. I'm, I'm going to give the third. Well
0: worth I'm it. I'm going to give the third advice. Become a company that gets paid for votes. That's really what you should do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good spin. I like that one. <laughs> uh,
1: no, that just blew me away, though, that people were actually like, yeah, pay me a thousand dollars and I'll get you this. I'll get you this win. So that was really interesting.
2: Yeah, but not to get off too off the top off topic. But there, I mean, there are competitions that are like that. Sure, right? You you Mm -hmm. pay, you get this award.
1: Oh yeah, they absolutely exist. And I mean, God, and that's for anything like the old the old.
2: We're not talking about our industry only. That's I'm
1: pretty sure if we put in for it, we could get one of those JD Power and Associate Car Awards for the podcast. (laughs) We just have to put in for it. Let's get one of those. Who the
2: fuck is JD? And are (laughs) they that powerful? Their associates. I don't know, hard. but his
1: associates. Yeah, their associates got some uh, media buy power.
2: <laughs> Fair enough.
1: All right, uh, Colton, you had a couple news items before I get into my last one, which will then segue into the topic of the see, day. Brian,
0: I send these to you so I don't have to read them, and I have to go through my email. And you see what I even bastard!
2: Sent.
0: <laughs> I do, I don't do either. I do nothing. Yeah, someday, sometimes I get bored. Uh, sometimes I get bored during lunch. So. Uh, well, <laughs> and you look up yeah, headlines. Just headlines. I have read none of these articles that we're about to talk about. <laughs> okay.
1: I, I've got them here. If you want me to go through yes. them real quick.
2: Yeah. Just read the headlines and we'll just talk yeah, about We don't it, need the actual article. All good.
1: right. Jameson rapped for encouraging irresponsible consumption, uh, a complaint by alcohol change UK that Jameson Iris whiskey barrel back promotion for the entree encouragement, uh, encouraged irresponsible consumption has been upheld. Uh, My quick reading of this earlier is essentially, uh, and I don't obviously we don't know if it was Jameson themselves or one of their marketing PR groups, distribution people. We have no idea exactly who was doing it. I mean, we could look into it, but I don't want to get sued, so I'm not going to lay blame on anyone. But the allegation is that they were basically providing shots with beer. So when people would get beer, they would throw in a shot at jameson um and there was kind of a tie-in to it like it came from like a barrel tap something like that there was there was a marketing angle to it
0: i think it's one of those barrel back programs that that uh, yeah that jameson does where they yeah. trade with breweries Right.
1: So people were essentially taking it as like a shot and then the beer was a chaser, which was increasing the alcohol consumption based on the allegation, which I mean, obviously that makes sense. So it sounds like that ruling got upheld.
0: I mean, nobody's ever heard of a shot in a beer before. It's really brand new marketing scheme.
1: (laughs) Well, essentially the problem is it was increasing the alcohol intake up by up to 40%. So people were assuming they were just buying a beer and then they got that coupled with it without knowing, um, there's consumption issues.
0: So, I mean, there you go. Responsible drinking. Okay. Hold on. I don't think anyone was giving away. Was it a deal? It was basically, I think, I think that, I think that they're just saying by having this ad campaign, you're encouraging over consumption by saying, Hey, every time you get a beer, you should also get a shot.
2: Does that work? Because that's my advice, too. Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. I, I stand by that. I mean, a, a shot in a beer is
0: delicious.
2: I, I agree. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of the uh, High Life Pony with a, a shot that I sip
0: on. Thereby reducing of, your alcohol consumption by 40%. Yeah,
2: there you go. See, I found, <laughs> I found the line, right?
0: You did. You did. Well done. It always confuses me when I read these... Uh... European articles where they talk about alcohol units. Apparently a beer is 2.5 units of alcohol. Which, I mean, it, I would like like one beer to be one unit. Right? I don't think you yeah. can just
2: make up math for <laughs> to work in your favor. I feel There's like you can people. do
1: whatever you want. And if Colton keeps saying unit, he'll just get
2: exactly. it. I know. Unit.
1: Yeah, you're right. Looking at this article deeper, you are correct. It was uh, a promotion deal that they were coupling it together. It doesn't look like it was anything free.
2: Nothing's so. free. Butterflies are free. <laughs>
1: what? What are you doing with the butter- butterflies, <laughs> you yeah. know?
2: N- nothing. I just, it's a thing <laughs> that an old guy said to me once. He said, butterflies are free. Get in my van. <laughs> no. He said, butterflies are free. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: then he got in, and there was no butterflies. Yeah. It was false advertising, and he still burned. Just
2: kidding, buddy. Here's a lollipop. It doesn't have razor blades in it. Um, no, there's an old saying, like, butterflies are free, but you gotta buy a net. There's right? an old saying. It's a saying.
1: It's fucking I think you. he just made that shit up on the
0: spot. That sounds like absolute
2: am <laughs> do, do you think I'm clever enough to make that up on the spot? Get
0: out. I think you're... It sounds clever. like an old... Polish immigrant bod uh, wife wife tale.
2: You know, you guys are really (laughs) knocking me down.
1: Uh, Okay, okay. The last of the news here. Barrel Craft Spirits announces the release of its first ever ever Barrel American Vatted Malt, a blend of uh, exclusively American single malt whiskeys.
0: Yeah, so I sent this because I thought it was interesting that it's not a distillery. I don't think it's a distillery. It's a blending house. Mm -hmm. and then it's the first blending house to do an american single malt so it's like johnny walker exactly all right good for them do you have any i I think that's cool it is cool
1: do you know if they're part of the uh single malt commission
0: i would assume so i i do not know off the top of my head
1: i i asked you that question knowing absolutely that no one here would know that answer
0: so that's how much of a dick i am you also hadn't looked it up.
1: <laughs> no, no. I, I clumped myself in that too. There's no way I knew it either. So,
0: <laughs> Oh, no. I know the
2: answer. Yeah, they're definitely in it. They're definitely in it. Um. <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, what did, uh, does it say anywhere in there, like who's involved, What like, where the liquids are coming from?
1: I'm sure they did.
2: Sounds like a riveting article. Maybe I'll get to it someday.
1: This is what happens when Colton sends me news articles that I do absolutely zero work to look into.
0: Um, Yeah, the article doesn't say I'm looking at it now. That that would be cool if they did. It's it's
1: BCS. It's Barrowcraft Spirits of uh, Louisville, Kentucky. That's who did it. But no one else is named like where they're getting juice from, it looks
2: like. You said Louisville? I did. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Awesome. I will yeah, have I will have people that I still know there to try and find out more.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's and I recommend anyone listening to the po- the podcast to do that for information as opposed to listening to us because we can't even read articles appropriately.
2: Listen, we give you just the tip of
0: information. <laughs> we are right. this podcast is just one giant intellectual tease. I'm kind of wondering, reading this article, if it really is. Is it really the first to do this or is it just the first to advertise that they've done this? Yeah, it could be right. Like has nobody else really bought single malt barrels from other places and blended them into a bottle?
2: Well, we know one place that did do that in Virginia and they got in trouble for it.
0: Well, this is American single malt though.
2: I know, but I'm just saying other people, I don't know. I mean, how many American single malts are there that that would be worthwhile and I'm saying that as in how many are there, and what are the volumes of them that it's worthwhile?
0: Yeah. I also wonder if they're doing if it's an all single malt blender, if if like Johnny Walker they use sort of a um, grain alcohol. Yeah, grain alcohol blender.
2: Yep. I mean, I don't. That's kind of my point, right? Like it might we might have the volumes now and options now, but they're you know to kind of dance around your question of has anyone done this before? I mean. Was there that much out there and that much varied out there that they could do it? Who knows? Um, we're just asking a lot of questions, not yeah. really giving any information. Yeah.
0: Listener, we're looking to you for the answers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, the the classic cop-out is we just want to start a conversation. Yeah. Which is a great way of saying we don't know what the fuck's going on.
2: If you want answers, you should probably go to someone like High Proof Creator. Oh,
1: we your- have uh, all of the answers.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean for all your digital needs, right? That's safe for me to say. I'm I pretty sure you should needs.
1: be the last person to say digital needs. I really don't <laughs> get with that at all, but I'm pretty sure High Proof Creative could help you at least in a legal way.
2: I, I don't know. I am not going to say that they can help you with legal issues. <laughs> you should probably go with a trained attorney. Uh, and licensed attorney that's probably the wise thing to do and maybe not listen to a podcast for legal advice
0: um i'm sure there's but, decent I mean, legal podcasts out there yeah <laughs> yeah we got corey day back yep. on and he can tell you Call
1: Corey he'll or, fix it for you he'll love that
2: one <laughs> I, i'm sure karen and the people at high proof creative can st- at least give you a suggestion but they can do a lot of other things for you too that you know that they're actually trained and do really well at
1: Yeah, and I feel fairly confident Karen reads articles from beginning to end, so she's already way ahead of us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) First word
0: and last word. That's all you (laughs) need.
1: All right, all right. We'll skip ahead here. Uh, Illinois craft distillers are now allowed to sell a limited amount of uh, products directly to bars, restaurants, and retailers under a law uh, essentially put forward by their senator. And this basically creates parity between beer and wine. It sounds like... uh, the governor just signed into effect a law where distillers producing up to 50,000 gallons of spirits annually can bypass liquor distributors and sell and deliver a maximum of 5,000 gallons. The law also allows still pubs to sell booze made in-house and other alcoholic beverages similar to how breweries uh, uh, brewers can sell wine. There you go. Not all small distilleries were on board with amending the state's 85-year-old Liquor Control Act to allow limited self-distribution. Paul Holetko, founder of Few Spirits in Evanston, said Illinois' three-tiered system of producers, liquor distributors, and retail uh, establishments works well. He said the self-delivery option could lead craft distillers to work against each other. So different perspective there from our friend Paul over there at uh, Few. So Interesting.
0: Well, what do you th- what do you think he's saying? Is he is he saying like it's just going to become craft distillers have to start spending more on sales guys and not not fighting for taps but fighting for I guess shelf space? But we I, are I think in a this? lot of way
1: yeah I mean yeah you're right I think craft producers are already fighting for shelf space. I I think in this regard I'm not going to speak for Paul but he might essentially mean that it's better left up to the distributors to do that work so that producers are just doing their job. Um, but I, I don't know for sure. We'd have to actually ask him what he thinks specifically, because it feels like r- small craft producers are already vying for attention, no matter what they do.
0: So one of the harder things I've I've heard from people who don't have to deal with a three tier system is that when you are allowed to self distribute, especially when you're a small craft distillery, a lot of them still end up going with distributors because they just can't afford. You know, bars are. Not knocking all bars, but bars are much more likely to pay late and and leave debts unpaid than a distributor, a big distributor is. And and it's a lot more accounts you have to keep track of to do that.
2: Absolutely, and I think I think that you know the account aspect of it too. Some bars are like, well, I only work with these two Mm -hmm. distributors, and that's where all my stuff comes from. So here you come as an independent guy, like that's a third. It goes on their end too. They don't want to work with more people.
1: Right. People right. only have so much bandwidth in a business operations management side. So the more people they're having to deal with, the more frustrating it is. Plus, I mean, that's what distributors do. They've leveraged these relationships. They have people go into these, you know, all these offsite premises all the time. It just makes sense that that's what they're positioned for. You know, we, we give distributors a lot of shit and a lot of people do, but they're good at their job. And if you can get one to actually work with you, yeah, it makes sense to work with them as much as you can because it can be real tough to... I mean, if you're starting a distillery with the plan of doing pure self-distribution, it's going to be real rough. It's going to be a tough business, especially as you grow.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, we should probably get some D.C. distilleries on here to talk about if if, and how they deal with that because I believe they're allowed to self-distribute mm-hmm. in DC. Uh, Washington State can too. Take- uh, and yet very, very few of them do, so...
2: Yeah, I mean I could get Reed Reed on here from college. You should. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. That'd be actually great. Yeah.
1: I the people I've talked to anecdotally, they'll do self-distribution kind of early on just to get the ball rolling as they're producing their products almost to test the waters, to build kind of a cult following, and then usually that's when they're trying to sign a distribution deal anyway. And that, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. In a lot of ways, if you can go to a distributor and say, "Hey, look, these are the you know, these are the um uh, basically all of the places I have my product in just through my own, you know, pounding the pavement, they'll take interest and you might be able to get a pretty good deal that way. It shows that you're already qualified,
0: so to speak. That's such a, yeah, you're right. That's just, that's such a small sect of anyone who's even allowed to do that. I don't. It It is. I don't, I, I guess the distributors are probably used to it on the beer side and they've never seen it on the liquor side. But. Right. Right.
1: Okay. Last bit of news that will segue into our main topic today. Constellation Brands has made a minority investment in Durham Distillery out of North Carolina. Uh, So that's something we're seeing a lot more of, and we've talked about this before, but minority investments from all the places like Constellation, uh, you know, Diageo, you name it. Diageo has its own, you know, an entire subset of its company that goes around and does investments with small distilleries. So that's something we're seeing a hell of a lot of. And you guys have any thoughts specifically
0: on this particular deal? Well, I mean, Pernard bought a craft distillery too, right? Sort of. They bought a brand, but yeah, they, the same week they bought uh, Jefferson's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I would say, yeah. They, so it's they bought Castle Brands, which has a bunch of other products in it but jefferson's is is part of that deal
2: and jefferson's is made in that kentucky artisan
0: right? yeah well was until this week yeah. i would imagine i don't know that they're going to continue that oh yeah i'm sure Pernard has fancier huh. boats that can float across the whatever, whatever <laughs> the, whatever out of the they're, ocean they're yeah. doing <laughs> <laughs>
1: So that, that opens up the conversation for you guys. We, we chatted about this a little in text, but uh, theoretically, if you guys had a distillery and you had Constellation or someone else come along and say, all right, we're going to buy a minority stake. Here's a bunch of cash. What's the first thing you do? So you've now sold a portion of your operation and there's obviously the logistics of how that translates in terms of management, new hires, things like that. Let's just assume you still have controlling interest and you get to make all the decisions. You now have an influx of cash, maybe an influx of knowledge from, you know, new partners, new associates. What do you do? Like what are the first steps to actually taking advantage of that now? Cuz sometimes they'll come in and tell you exactly what to do, but other times it's still on your shoulder.
2: Well, I think that and let's just say for the sake of conversation, you have 100% sure. and they come in and buy 25%. You still have 75 right? That way you have majority. So you have control and first right, right refusal and whatever, all that jazz. So in that regard, I think that this is kind of a loaded question, right? Because what does that percentage that they're going to buy, what is the expectation there? Is it to increase production? Is it to increase well let's back that up a step you guys
1: answer this let's say i'm constellation and you want me to buy a minority share because you need a cash infusion what's your sales pitch to me why should i buy a minority stake and let's just throw out the hypothetical that you get to maintain you know you get controlling interest why should i invest in you
0: well i mean you're selling you're selling brand potential right that's that's it's it doesn't matter what your production facility looks like now it's this is what this is what we're seeing in the stores. This is what consumers say about it. You know, you look at what what was that Kentucky distillery uh Rabbit Hole. No, no, not not even that one. The one before it that Stolley bought. The Oh yeah, ow, Kentucky They were ow. like Yeah, I, I don't know, ten thousand. I don't know how many cases, but it was something small. And then they got right. bought for this huge amount and Stoley's turning it into a an amusement park of Oh, it's crazy Disney, what they're doing. Right? Yeah. So how did you sell how did they sell that brand potential? I think some some at some point it's just right place right time, but they did yeah. they did a really small scale you know sort of cult following only so many people can get this with you know sort of following in the steps of Pappy and someone else wanted to jump on that i my guess is that was their pitch.
2: I probably yeah I mean I I think you're 100% right. It's all about you're selling a brand. I mean, I brought up Rabbit Hole because really was their liquid they had all they have that beautiful facility right there in like downtown Louisville and you know, they weren't really selling the liquid that they were making quite yet and it was bought out. Yeah, right? I
0: mean they're they're the epitome it's- of brand potential because I think they invested I think I read 18 million just to get that started. And before they've even released any of their own liquid, they're already reinvesting. And then they got bought out right after that. So I think they just, they just sold brand potential with their investment.
1: So how do you build that brand potential? How do you convince a constellation or someone else that you have that brand potential even before maybe you've released a product?
2: I think that the guy who writes the magazine should answer that more than the guys who make And have the not
1: movie. sold to any uh, of
0: these giant... Yeah. We're not walking around with those fat wallets.
1: <laughs> okay, okay. I'll be the one to touch on that side. But then let's, let's turn back. I mean, because I think the production side is really interesting too, because a lot of the people that have sold a minority stake aren't necessarily building it you know, they, they've they got a plan in place for what they need the money for. You know, part of it is just staying afloat. You know, we've seen plenty of those situations, but okay, like, you've got the money. What do you do now to translate that? Are you spending it all on marketing? Are you spending it on new sales staff? What are you doing? to? Inc- I mean, a lot of times you have to increase your efficiency, right? Cause you're trying to put more product in a barrel. You know, you've got a set amount of money, whatever it is, what are you guys doing? What are the first purchases you guys make as the producers in the distillery? What, what do you, what do you want to put that money towards?
2: I think immediately when you're going there, I, I think and this kind of goes with the negative connotation when people, get a minority stake or even a majority stake and they sell up. People are like, oh no, they're going to have to make more. The quality is going to go down. Someone else is controlling it, yada, yada, yada. And I don't think that is entirely true all the time, but I think that it's a pretty safe bet if you're bringing in that money, it's because you want to, you already, you know the market enough, and you have a brand that's well enough that you think it can sell more than you can make. So I think immediately, and this is maybe totally biased because I'm a producer, you can make more equipment. So it's a more efficiency and more volume. And that's the first places that I would look. And the easiest thing to do, it's like what Jim Beam does when they're like, oh, we want to up the volume is they add fermenters, right? Yep. So you add surge capacity. Colton, weigh in on that.
0: Well, (laughs) I agree, except that... A lot of one. if we're talking about craft distilleries, a lot of craft distilleries have sized their, have sized everything around their still to, to max capacity. So adding a fermenter just adds sort of chaos to your, now you have to cut off a day in your, in your ferment time or, you know, somehow, yeah, or double, or shifted, double shift, something like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that it's the most inexpensive bang for your buck, right? If you can handle it, though, I understand it can be a pinch point with your stills in the craft. But so, yeah. but in the craft
0: I mean, area, I think what I would do would be add a add a large format stripping still, still, like a cheap still, and then fermenters, right? Because that way you can get any anything you want to distill shelf stable by putting it in and through one distillation into right. low wines and then you can do whatever you want with your, your normal still so I guess
2: that what kind of we're, we've deduced here is that depending on your particular scenario you're going to buy you're going to use that capital to buy equipment to support your, your operations right well, we can agree on that
0: no I think a lot of people I think a lot of people <laughs> use it for marketing and distribution. I think a lot of craft distilleries already oversize their not oversized, but plan for plan for growth when they're first building out their distillery, especially these ones that get bought out by these by these bigger companies. So that the first thing that money goes to is distribution and marketing. Or probably even the, probably the other way around, marketing and then distribution.
2: But that wasn't the question, right? The question is, you've sold your brand or a portion of your brand.
0: So, so they take care of the marketing. You, so
2: you would have to think that they, you know that your brand is good enough for this person to invest a significant amount of money, so that the marketing would be taken care of. Like, I mean, I think that comes with the territory. Yeah. If Stoly comes in and buys. 30% of my comp
0: Stoly's going to market it and I'm going to have their distribution. Yeah, I'm going right. to
2: feel. Right. That's how, I mean, so that was my perspective. So I don't disagree with what you're saying. I just think that in this scenario that we're talking about, that's like, that's going to happen, right? That's probably the whole reason that they're investing. It's what you want to do.
1: With it. Yeah. And that's actually a really good point because they. They're going to come in and ask you what your plans are. What do you, you know, validate to me why I'm going to give you a million, two million, five million, whatever the fuck it is, to basically, how are you going to make me money in the long term? And part of that is, yeah, the marketing, the distribution, and leveraging the value and the assets they have. So that's the other thing is, you know, it's great to get a cash influx, but don't just sell to anyone. Because if you're selling to someone who's only going to give you the cash and no other additional support, that's probably not a really great deal. Part of that is you want that intellectual experience, knowledge, sales distribution, you know, you know, bandwidth potentially, and you're still probably going to have to pay for it. I mean, Colton's not completely wrong. You know, they're not going to come in, give you a wad of cash and then also cover all your marketing. What they're going to do is they're going to give you the expertise and some advice to maximize spending that money. So that's what you're going to have to really plan
2: for. Yeah. And I think that's actually, yeah, I'm actually, yeah, I'm supporting Colton and his David that I think that they have the bandwidth. So you go and you sell your brand and you're like, Hey, we have this brand. We know what this spirit has the potential to do in this market, what it's currently doing in the current markets that we are in. We want to expand to these other markets and really put some marketing money behind right. it. And, you know, you have, they have a far greater bandwidth than company like Constellation stole or no, right, whoever it is.
0: So I don't I don't want to derail us, but just talking about this, do you guys think that most of these com most of these companies that are getting bought out, are they approaching the big boys or are the big boys approaching them?
2: That is a great question. And that is not off topic. I think it's right on topic.
0: It is.
1: It's it's a perfect question. It's it's gonna be a bit of both. So you've got scenarios where Can you've we got we stop blowing Colton for a <laughs> second yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is literally the nicest we've ever been to him on a podcast. Yeah. Now let's not forget, right? Let's not forget we, we canceled him at the beginning of the podcast. So we're gonna actually cut his entire audio track. So it doesn't really matter how nice we are to him. <laughs>
2: um all right sorry i didn't mean to you it just was like oh, but, yeah i'm gonna support colton let me agree with colton Colton was right yeah that's a really good it's a perfect question colton that's literally yep. the words you said um go on though brian yeah that, it, it is a great question brian you were definitely <laughs> on it. Uh, stop blowing brian This is
0: my time. Stop
1: blowing Brian and cold. All right. So you've got scenarios where you've got, um, what is it? Uh, Diageo's branch is Distill Ventures, right? So that's their branch that goes out and basically advertises the fact that they've got investment dollars out there. And they solicit and have people come to them and give them pitches. And they do education, seminars, things like that. So that's part of, they're out there doing the research looking for companies you know they're they're the people in sports you know who are you know basically watching the games to see who's out there maybe going to make you know make a splash and get out there before they have to compete with someone else and that's why they're doing small minority investments too you know they're they're taking less of a gamble they're not buying out completely these small operations instead they're trying to head it off at the pass so instead of competing with constellation down the line when someone's already really successful they're buying 10, 15, 20% now and taking first rider refusal so that down the line, if they are successful, it pays off for them. So there are groups out there that are already doing that. And there's investment groups out there. I actually just got uh, at one of the competitions I was at, uh, that's what a guy is doing now. He started basically an investment firm who and he's basically searching you know he's looking for potential distilleries scout. to invest in he's a scout thank you
2: yeah that's I mean, i'm sorry you said sporting
1: no like, i know it was kill it was yeah, killing yeah. me that i couldn't come up with a term. Yeah, no yeah. they're essentially scouts out there looking for viable distilleries to invest in that is a thing you know and they've you know i've been asked before hey do you have any recommendations on potential distilleries we could invest in so that happens that's that's quite common for them to scout and look for people. On the other side of that, you have people who are in need of funding and they're actively pursuing investors as much as they can. And you had asked earlier when we first started talking about this, how do you position yourself to sell a minority stake? And honestly, I'd have to say it's not necessarily the sexiest answer, but it is networking. You have to know someone and you have to have built that relationship, ideally even before you started the distillery. So if you are already kind of building the buzz and getting potential investors interested and engaged in your brand and product, even before you've produced, you can get them excited and potentially invest down the line. So it's, I hate to say it, but it's in business, it's who you know. So if you want to be able to sell some, you know, some Stock or some shares, you, you got to talk to people. You know, you just have to make it sound sexy and start doing the whole, you know, shake hands. You're a politician at that point. You're trying to really build a network of p- potential people who could invest in you.
2: Right now, but like one of the things that brought me even in with Gordon is that as much as I love what I do and I do, this isn't a passion project for me. If you want to actually be successful at it, you're where our job is to. St- build a brand and sell a brand and making the liquid for that is part of that. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to sell my soul to the devil or we're going to look for anyone or anything like that. But, and I, and I definitely, but love I'm open I do to it. It. yeah, I would do any, <laughs> I would do anything else, but like, that's the goal. The goal wasn't like, Oh man, I really love making wine and beer and spirits and the chemistry that goes involved in like, I do. I love all those things. I've dedicated my life to it. But that's not why I'm doing what I do the way I do it now.
1: Yeah. The the people that I've found that tend to be most successful and get the best deals are the ones that r- basically they build their distillery like they're going to run it as a legacy project for the rest of their life. They love it, they want to enjoy it. It's a product that they want to drink. But they also have an exit strategy ready to go. They build that into their business plan, not necessarily because they ever intend to sell it, but because that's good business. And if you do that, you're making the right decisions early on so that you're in position to make the most money when you're ready to either exit or take an investor. So... And it just so happens that if you build it like you want to run it forever, you tend to have the sincerity and the quality of product that will get people's attention. So that's why those two things, even though they might sound a little counterintuitive, that's how it works. And that's how it, you know, people tend to be most successful as opposed to doing just one or the other. Because if you're going in just as a pure exit strategy scheme, they, you tend, I mean, the, the, the product might not be as good or the passion won't be there because the enthusiasm and the sincerity isn't there. And on the other side, if you're just just doing it, like you said, as a passion project, you're probably not always making the best business decisions or kind of networking down the line so you can exit out. So you got to play both sides of it.
2: I want to go, I want to still talk about that original question of like, what do you do? And do you put money into marketing? And again,
1: Mm, I think
2: that if you're enough, if you're either shopping it or someone's coming to you, you've done, you've put some money into that marketing already. Maybe more.
0: If, if someone's coming to you, I would say if you're, if you're going out, you probably, I'm sure you have put some money in, but you haven't put, if they're not coming to you, you're you're not marketed well enough.
2: And, and maybe you're going to them because you're like, I need to expand like, again, marketing. So it's a chicken and an egg situation. Right. Is kind of, I think we'll we
1: kind of figured out here. My, my vote is always, if you can, you know, get more hands on deck, hire people. You know, if you've got some dollars, you know, maybe it's, maybe you're hiring new production staff so that you can be in the distillery less and be the face of it more, which is always a good angle for a smaller producer or small business of any type. If you can be the face of what you're doing, you're going to be the best person to sell it. Or at the very least, like you said, hire some brand ambassadors, hire someone, you know, who can really sell the shit out of your product and really get it, you know, get it out to the bars and anyone else you want to actually carry your product. I think actual people and human resources is a really good way to go.
2: Brand ambassadors, the DJs of our industry. <laughs> there you go.
1: Absolutely. No, I think brand ambassadors brand ambassadors get a lot of shit sometimes, but good brand ambassadors can make or break a brand. They're they're awesome.
0: I would say the best example of that is actually not a not a spirit, but Glenn Karen's brand ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> our good old friend Duffy. Our good old friend Duffy yeah Mar- uh, yeah makes uh,
1: glenn karen in america M- marty is like the only face of glenn karen in america and everyone knows him he goes to everything he is personable friendly and he doesn't it's funny because like he doesn't pitch glenn karen it's not about him like i've barely ever heard it pitches himself i no, he it. does yeah it's amazing like that how many times has he actually talked about glenn karen glasses i don't know that i've ever talked with him more than three seconds about it, but he is really knowledgeable and really helpful and he's a great brand ambassador. You're right. He's a great example.
2: I got a question about it actually. So say it does happen. And I don't give a shit if you're going to spend it on marketing sales, human resources, uh, raw materials, better raw materials, or, you know, uh, expand your capacity, whatever you do. I don't really care about that. What, what are the things that can go wrong that you could do? Like, what are the, definitely don't (laughs) do if this happens, if you get that
1: money. Uh, From a regulatory standpoint, make sure that you update uh, who the ownership is on your basically your TTB records and things like that. You have to file updates with the state and federal government of ownership change. And I forget, I think there might be uh, an upper limit on when you have to do that, but pretty much anytime you need to file those because you only have a set amount of time once that deal is in place to file that. And if you don't, you're in danger potentially of losing your DSP. So
0: don't fuck that up. Yeah, I mean, that that's a public service announcement to someone who has a new investor, not someone who has just had Constellation or Bernard <laughs> invest in them because i'm pretty sure they have lawyers dude you'd be
1: surprised <laughs> that it, yeah but you'd be i mean yeah you, you would hope that that doesn't happen but anecdotally there are stories of places that have got money from bigger players that you would assume that shouldn't happen and it still does i mean we just we a few episodes ago we read that uh press release from ttb basically saying they were giving a grace period i believe it was to the right. wholesaler yeah. side uh Basically saying, hey, you have till the end of the year to tell us and update your records of your your ownership, because even these huge ones weren't doing it. So never assume that the person that is investing in you knows all of the legal re- regulations and that they're going to make sure to cover that. You've got to make sure you have your own legal counsel. Obviously, you should anyway, if you're negotiating anything with ownership. Don't assume that their lawyers are on your side because they're not. But that is the one big one is make sure yeah, you get at- those.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it can, it can go south. I mean, there's like vertical integration, right? You know, if I'm going to use, I mean, I can say this because it's like, like Bill Goldring who owns, you know, Republic national. I actually, I don't know which one he owns. If he owns that or if he owns Sazerac, but his kids own a different one. Cause you know, you can't own the distributor and a giant producer. Right. So like there's those kind of things. So you, I'm not, that's an extreme case but if you had someone who came on and they have a mine, you know a stake up to a certain percentage in another company that's a conflict right then it, so i mean i think that's the whole reasoning behind why you have to do that but your lawyers should be digging through that stuff
1: too
0: right you yeah you've got to do your due diligence through the guild we're we're fighting there's this i, I don't know what you know guy in the back office reinterpreted what law but basically they're they're trying to say that um any Tennessee distillery has to now submit like a ton of financial records and basically your entire life has to be laid out for any investor at any amount in a distillery. And there's a lot of distilleries that get, you know, know Jesus, 1 2% investments from from big rich guys who are not interested. Yeah, well, in I
1: mean that's what, family and friends laying
0: out their life story to the
1: Tennessee government. Well, also, also new new operations. A lot of times will take the friends and family money yeah. when you're first starting up, and so you sell you know a certain amount to people you know, and yeah, same thing. They don't necessarily want to have to. Well, have yeah, of and
0: and then there. you have to go and ask them for it, and that, you know, it just creates. You don't you you're supposed you're to be right. making spirit. You don't have time to be haranguing your. Your great aunt for her social security number, right? And if she, no, exactly.
1: And if it's a small amount of money, where they're like, "Hey, here's ten grand. I hope you work. You know, hope it works out." But then you hit them with a bunch of paperwork and filling out a bunch of things, then they may say, "Oh, it's not worth it." Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Keep us up to date on that.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a thing we've we've been fighting. I I don't think it's gonna stick around. Although, Zeno, you need to cut that because I know that. Tennessee government listens to this, so yeah. there are entirety of <laughs> listener. Listener is that guy in that back room. Uh, yeah,
1: I don't know. I thought I thought that was interesting information. If there's any way we can sanitize it,
0: no, no, no you can keep that.
2: I'm usually pretty good at it. I mean, it's way easier to do things. Yeah. I'm like, mm, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with me saying that.
0: It's, yeah. And it's
2: never like the date rape stuff either. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right that those always stay in which makes me sound like an ass clown on this show and i don't really care um so yeah well i mean that's uh, all right so number one don't do right any can you guys think of anything else like that happens yeah and, like you know you don't want to be like jojo the idiot circus all
0: right band. here's here's the second biggest and this is this isn't gonna be for your standard you know if constellation comes and buys you out you probably have the money to to do all this but don't just buy equipment pieces that exclusively work for production and by that i mean don't just buy a big new still and a fermenter think about your chiller think about your boiler think about think about your utility side right because that's a great don't don't oversize all your equipment and then realize oh shit I can't operate this anymore.
2: I can't produce enough energy. Right. Yeah.
0: Too. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You could definitely. Uh, what is it? Outrun your landing pad? Sure. That's a saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: It is now. Nailed it. <laughs> God, we're all so fucking. They're beautiful smokes um, here.
2: No, that's a really good. That's a really good point. Like, yeah, don't go. Well, even to your point, what I said is immediately you can add fermentation capacity which is true but you know if you don't have the stills to support
0: that um, yeah exactly i mean that's weird. Where do you, where do you go sour ferments yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah right
1: oh yeah i mean it, it could be as simple as do you have a plan in place to get rid of the additional waste material uh, i would say the other thing in this i think most people do this but keep it in mind is if you're going to sell a minority stake, make yourself comfortable with the idea that you potentially will get phased out. Like no matter how good your contract is, you now have a, you know, you're going to have some sort of board or you're going to have some sort of oversight from the people you're selling to, even if it's really minimal, and if you're not hitting the goals or keeping people happy, you, you know, you could be running into problems. So, I mean, if you have controlling interest, great, you can go a long ways, but it will erode at your control at a certain point. So be comfortable with that. Make sure whatever deal you set up, you're really you're planning for the long term and if you miss some of those benchmarks, you got to deal with the repercussions of that. There's
0: make sure you know, you're you're out there you're looking for an investment or or maybe they came to you, but know that even if it's a minority stake now, you basically have no other out if it's one of the big companies. Cause they're not, you know, Diageo is not going to buy a company that Constellation owns twenty five percent in or thirty percent, right? Like you're basically kind of shooting yourself in in the foot in terms of other options. You're really limiting. Yeah, exactly. You're
1: now a good contract can be written in such a way that they have first right of refusal. And if you can't come to an agreement, they still have to sell their shares when you're ready to sell. So that's that's not uncommon. So essentially they can't, in most cases, a well-written contract, they can't just sit on their 25% and never let you sell. That's not how it works. Essentially what happens is after they... Basically, they turn it down or that you can't come to an agreement after whatever set period of time for whatever negotiations, arbitration, whatever you want to do, however that contract is written, you then can go out to the wider world and get another buyer, but then you're starting over from scratch. You're trying to get that other buyer. And it usually doesn't, in most cases, I don't think they'll care that Constellation owns 25% necessarily, but it may raise questions of, well, why didn't they buy it? You know, Why are you coming to me if you couldn't sell to your minority investor? That does make it a lot harder. Um, And sometimes contracts can be written. I've heard a few cases where you can't put it on the open market like you can take offers and people can come to you and try and buy you out but you can't necessarily go out to other people or it's such a long period of time before you can take it on the open market once you've notified them that you want to sell that it can really be prohibitive so really- I'd
0: like to see a I'd like to see a case study of how many how many of these big buyouts or or sorry how many of these minority buyouts don't end in majority buyouts you know what i mean like if uh, take Constellation as example, if they buy twenty five percent, how many of those? That's a good question. That they're they're buying twenty five percent of. Do they not end up buying a majority of?
2: Now you're that guy. You're like, oh, I read this study.
0: Well, no, I haven't read any studies. So that's, <laughs> I, when... that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. He, he's literally saying it'd be great if other people read those studies.
2: And you know, and you're really us. in for some great information when someone starts yeah. a conversation. So i read this study and I'm like, Oh fuck. Oh. No, no. The classic
1: is, Oh, I listened to this great piece yeah. on NPR. That's always the start of a great conversation. I think what
2: you guys were, you know, we're getting down to, I think one of the things that I could say is whether you're going to someone or someone is coming to you, you better have your, Ducks in a row. Um, everything that you, the reason why you think you can do this, or the reason you think you need it, what you want to do after it happens, all those things have to be well thought out and planned beforehand. And if someone comes to you out of the blue, I think that you're totally within your means to
0: get those things in line.
2: But to yeah, avoid a but lot. But like
0: Brian said, have your exit strategy already. So when somebody does come to you out of the blue, you can already say, "All right, this is a good plan," or, "No, that's not what I'm looking for." Right.
2: Right. Ideally, you already have it when someone comes to you, right? But th- you can't, you can't go in there blind, and say, "Oh yeah, you know, look at a, the shiny object." Of yeah. A lot of zeros.
0: They're all after the decimal point, though. So you and then be like, out. oh,
1: okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. And, and whenever you can hope that you're not in a position where you're desperate for the funding, because you need to be able to say no, if you, I mean, cause the first offer isn't always the best. And in a lot of cases, if someone is coming to you out of the blue, you know, that takes time. You've got to go through, a, even if you already have the exit strategy in place, you've got to go, you've got to get lawyers involved. You've got to go ahead and take time out of your day. You've got to stop selling your own product and really put a lot of your mind share into, Okay. I'm going to make this deal happen. And this is the transition. And if it doesn't come to fruition, then you've wasted a lot of time. And also, let's not forget, even though, you know, you, I guess I should use this as, as advice too make sure people are signing non disclosure agreements too. You know, don't just open your books up. If someone, even a big one, you know, big guy comes to you and says, Hey, I want to buy 25%, but we need to look at everything that's well within their rights. And they should look at all your books, but don't just open your books to anyone without some contracts in place or non-disclosures. Cause otherwise that's not great for you either.
0: There's this really interesting book about the, the Budweiser family, the Bush family and how, when they got bought out by, um, by the Belgians or Brazilians, uh, it was because they had opened their books up a little too closely to to these groups and they basically learned okay this is exactly what they're making if we offer them and you know this is cuz it was a public company but if we offer them right x amount above the share price they literally can't say no cuz it's not in the interest of the shareholders um, and that's and that's how you lost american budweiser
1: yeah Yeah, no, they have a, what's it called, a fiduciary duty to do the, basically make the decision that's best in the interest of the shareholder. So, yeah, they were locked The only reason they
0: knew what to offer was because they opened their books too much without, I mean, I'm sure they had NDAs and stuff, but it was still, they let them get a little too close.
2: Are you trying to tell me Budweiser is an American?
0: Yeah. No, it's all about, it's all about Mick Ultra and White Claw now. Those are they have american spirits they have they have red white and blue cans and yeah, that tells so me it. so does pabst it's,
2: it's american what is, what is
1: that what is that god awful instagram or social media like quote now for uh, white claw there ain't no law when you're drinking white claw or something what? like that
0: You've no. not heard of this,
1: what? yeah? That, I actually, I and this is funny because I actually literally did hear this on NPR. So I'm talking shit about myself,
0: straight from the creators of Four Loco. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, they're basically they're they're gunning for Four Loco.
2: You guys realize that's on the last episode that this exact conversation.
1: We've literally never listened to the podcast, so I'm pretty sure we can reuse our own.
2: And this podcast. is where I'm going to do the old. Uh, uh. <laughs>
0: Uh, <laughs> final thoughts. So I'm playing yet another video game with a uh, distillery in it. And again, these these video game producers are really getting into details of distilleries. It's awesome. Wait, what video game are you playing? Yeah, with a with Tellus 3. Oh yeah. Is, I've been wanting uh, to play. That. Yeah. It seems to be from it's not called New Orleans, but it's most certainly someone running around New Orleans <laughs> building up the gangs. Uh, And, yeah, obviously, I fight a uh, backwoods moonshiner in his what is only the best scotch distillery I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's pretty awesome. They do have have some Uh, some cool, like, uh, hillbilly stills out in the woods, but when you go to, like, the real distillery, it is 100%, like, it's what McAllen wishes it could be. (laughs) I feel
2: like I need to play this game just based on this information. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> it it does feel the game. I love the game, but it does feel like it's uh, it's a super rip off of GTA and more like uh, 2 GTA's ago. N- not a, okay. not even GTA 5. But Fair. still very very fun. And you get to fight in a distillery. So, between that and Spider-Man, you know, what else could you ask for in life?
1: as as the chair of the safety committee uh how do you feel about gunfights in a distillery i mean is is there uh, well, something in the
2: handbook about that
0: so i think it's i think it's cool
2: i want to take a minute to talk about exclamation points
0: excellent uh, wait I... sorry excellent <laughs> oh.
2: uh, i fucking hate exclamation points i really do when someone like writes an exclamation uh, point, I'm like, no, you weren't that excited when you wrote this. That is not, I hate it. It's the worst piece of punctuation.
0: Ever. You know, it's funny. I bet if somebody tried to transcribe your speech, it would be full of exclamation points. Right. If they
2: tried it, but then they would miss the mark. Right. Cause that's just me and how I talk. Right. I'm not exceptionally excited right now or angry. This is just how I am. Yeah. Exclamation point. <laughs> yeah.
1: Brian. My feeling is, um, and I'm, I, I i can't even remember who this quote gets attributed to. So I'm just a terrible human being. But my feeling about exclamation points is you get one per career. Oh. <laughs> so, So if you're a professional writer, you get one exclamation point to use in your career. So that's how limited it should be
2: excellent thank you you know what as someone who runs a magazine i feel very validated in my
1: opinion though. you should you should so we yeah i mean like we just finished putting out our fall issue and we you know we I, we have a proofreading team that goes on google docs and there's like you know seven or eight of us all on these different articles we're going through and we're proofing and we're checking punctu- punctuations and things like that and that's a really common like google doc conversation for the proofreaders and myself to have is we'll have those exclamation points in a conversation and we'll say should this be here and almost always we're like no absolutely not this is too much there are scenarios where i give a little latitude to writers that are specifically they have a certain narrative because i you
0: know
1: (laughs) Matt imagine i like them to have their tone come through because it differentiates the article and it makes it so it's not so dry. And in some cases I'll give a little attitude, but again, I do like people asking my advice on exclamation points. Yeah, you get one, you get one in your
2: career. That's great. Should, I think it should advice. only come after the word zoics. Um, <laughs> 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 because that's the only thing that makes even a, the slightest bit of sense. Um, hiya.
1: <laughs> As Zeno screamed into the void, Hi-ya, that's the end of it.
0: Let's drink some alcohol. And back to Mickey Mouse <laughs> on Space Mountain. Yeah,
1: I feel like we're done. Love you, dummies.
0: All right.